I don't know if it's good news or bad news for you, but there is no way we can cover all of chapter one in one week. So, while she read it all, we're going to stop at about verse 14. And before we even get to the spot I'm going to skip, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, because it's a series, because it's a letter, because it's got tie in all the way around the board. Yeah, there'll be some verses I kind of skip, but we're going to come back to them because they tie in with the theme at the second part of chapter one. So don't worry. We're going to get it all, I promise. All right. So here's what I want to do. Since this is our first weekend, I definitely want to make sure we understand what Ephesians is. I want to understand who it's written to. And then I want to grab that initial theme that, that stands out in this. And yes, you've got to swallow all your ideas about what you thought history and culture had told you about certain words and just get rid of them. There's going to be words like predestination and selection and all that stuff that churches died over and they start new religions over and they start this over and they start that over and people argue, well, how can it be this and how can it be that? And, and here's what I want you to do. Throw it on the trash can. Let's throw all of our culture, our history, ideas that aren't scripturally based and scripturally proven and scripturally sound. Just throw a trash can. You know what I'm saying? And here's why. Not because they're all wrong. You ever thrown something away and had to go get it back? Seriously. Last night I finished a, a drink and, and it was in this, this koozie that uh, Haley had bought me. Well, for some reason, I guess it was because I was so tired or whatever, I, I took the koozie off and I threw it in the trash can and I went to sit the drink back in the, or the, the, the can back in the, um, the drawer where the koozie goes. I said, what in the world am I doing? So I had to go back, get the koozie out because Haley would really be upset if I threw away my brand new koozie. And, uh, you know, switched my Pepsi can out for the, I didn't have a Mountain Dew, it was sad. Oh, uh, you know, I had, had to switch those things out and, and, and get it right, but I had to go back and get it. So here's what I'm saying. Like, you go throw some things away, and it's alright to go back if you realize, hey, they knew what they were talking about. But what I don't want us to do is open scripture with a mindset we've already decided. You know what I'm saying? Because that's what gets us in a lot of trouble. We go into reading verses, we're like, oh, I already know what that says. And we roll with it. And you get that interpretation because you already had that mindset of that's what it was. Not because that's generally what it was. Right? All right. So check this out. And here's why I really love Ephesians. Here's why I thank God led us to Ephesians for our first letter, you know, with Paul's letters and all. Because the way Ephesians is broke down is awesome. If you if you could say Paul had his his greatest letter, his greatest writing, I would have to say it's, it's covered in this. Because in six chapters... He's got everything nailed down pretty good. Now, we're going to do other letters after this, so that tells us not everything, but but a lot of it. So for the first three chapters of this, all he talks about is who we are in Christ, how much Christ loves us, and the amazing things that Christ does for us. Then he breaks down and he goes into this, this, this last three chapters and he talks about our behavior. But just in the way it's structured, this is what I want to point out, just in the way it's structured is one of our greatest first lessons of the book. Because what, what does he talk about first? Our relationship with him before he talks about our behavior. What do we do in, in today's world most of the time? What, what do we tell our kids? How do, how do we instruct you know, your behavior? And then we'll get to the why. No, you get your relationship right and the behavior will come. So just in the way he's written this letter and got this thing going right in itself is, is a good lesson, right? So, so as, we, as we dive into this thing and he first talks about a relationship with God, what he's trying to make sure we got is, man, like we're changing our behavior, not because of the flesh, not because of trying to get on God's good side, but because of what he's doing inside us. Because we understand the great love that he has for us. And that's going to make all the difference in what we do, why we do and how we do. 
Right. It changes why we come to church. It changes why we reach out to other believers. It changes some of our volunteer ideas for for upcoming events. It changes why we worship. It changes, you know, everything that we do then feeds off of that. So as these first three chapters being filled with truth about God and the last three being about, yeah, great instruction, wonderful instruction. We're going to get who knows how many months it's going to take us to get there. But we're going to talk about things like practical instruction for marriage. We're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to talk about conflict management. I know none of you guys are ever having problems with that, but but that's something that's in there. We're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about workplace. We're going to talk about a host of day-to-day issues. But we're not going to talk about none of them to grab a hold of this thing of relationship. Right? Because if we don't get the relationship right, none of the rest of them is going to matter. And really, we're probably not even going to get some of the rest of them. So, so here's why I want you to understand why it's written. Because people will take this book and... And they'll read it and they'll look at this as doctrine and practical guide for living. And they'll write all these little hunky-dory great stories about it. Not that those things aren't in there. But I want us to understand what the letter is really written for. You know, the men started parables or are starting parables, you know, a little bit last Wednesday and, and going in for who knows how many Wednesdays it'll take us to get through that section of Matthew. But what you got to understand when you look at parables is the audience it was written to. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if you don't understand that audience, you're going to miss some of the greatest lessons that are there. So we got to look at the who and the why. So Ephesians is a letter. Now, a lot of manuscripts have this, and I think it's fine. We know it's written to Ephesus because of some other stuff that's said. But a lot of stuff say that Paul's original writing had, you know, your, your, your intro and then left out the church's name, which I think is kind of cool that that's the way it was because then it's for every church. You know what I'm saying? Like you just put your name in there. Not saying that is the way it is because I don't know. There's debate on it and, and all that kind of stuff. I just thought it was neat, right? But here's what we do know. As we know for sure, it was written in Ephesus because of some stuff that's made. First and foremost, this is a manual of how the church is to survive in a hostile environment. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have ever been in a hostile environment. I don't know if you've ever been in an environment, not talking about your kitchen table at dinner either, you know, but, but like a hostile environment because of your beliefs. So here's what I understand. What is Ephesus? See if some of this stuff relates to, to us, right? So Ephesus is one of the most impressive, intimidating cities in the ancient world. Might relate to a certain city or place or area or country that you knew of, right? It was at a seaport right at the intersection of Europe and Asia. It's one of the main trade hubs for the whole Roman Empire. I mean, this thing has a lot of people coming through nonstop. It's the most mixed and multicultural area of its time. Sound pretty familiar as well, right? So we can see where we relate to this thing. It boasted of one of the largest libraries in the world. My wife would be the only one in this room that thinks that's cool, right? It had the world's most prestigious scholars at the time. It was religiously a smorgasbord of, of, of just stuff. You know, everybody come in and they accepted everything, no matter what it was. We had it. It had 50 different temples in this one city. So keep that in mind. That's a lot, right? The largest temple in the ancient world to, to Artemis, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world for you guys who study history. Sexual morality was an industry in this area. Yes, you could work at the red door and make lots of money and be all right, but you could even take it further than that. It was something that some of the temples actually promoted in their worship. So think about this. If you're trying to promote good old Christian living, you're competing with the temple over here that's promoting good old sexual pleasure at the same time while worshiping. You think about how hard it's going to be to gather. You know, Hey, come to us. We're going to tell you to stay away from one another and barely touch one another. Or, hey, come to us. We're going to tell you to do all the opposites of that, right? So, you know, they had this saying that what happened in Ephesus stayed in Ephesus. We use that saying sometimes. Anybody ever heard that? What happened and what happened here stays here? Unless it's contagious and then you carry it with you the rest of your life. Oh, so 
Let it sink in. One of y'all will get it here in just a minute, right? So, so here's what's happening, right? This is not a Christian-friendly place. And as I, as I look at the history of Ephesus and think about this, I think it's so timely for us. One of the worst things you can be in the world right now, I hate to say, is a Christian. They're not going to like your, your stand on a lot of things. They're not going to like your viewpoint on a lot of things. They're, matter of fact, some of your beliefs might end up actually getting you in trouble in the next few years. You know, so, so, so keep that in mind as we go into this thing. This is not a friendly environment. And maybe some of you guys have that environment. Maybe it's school. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's your family. Whatever it is. But what Ephesus, the Ephesians letter does for the people of Ephesus is it gives them the ability to thrive and survive in these conditions. Right? So you got to keep that in mind when you read the very beginning and understand everything. Like what, what is Paul's main thing? Paul's writing to a bunch of people who hate where they live because of the conditions, who are struggling with a lot of stuff, and yet he's going to give them a way to thrive and survive and motivate themselves to get through all of it. He's going to send them a puppy. Right? I mean, that, that's, in essence, that's kind of what he's doing. Like something to get them through the hard moment. So Paul's writing this. This is, uh, 60 AD. By the way, this is when he's serving his first two year imprisonment in Rome. Yes, we do study from a guy who wrote from prison. Sounds crazy. So if you've been to prison, good news. You can still write letters and, uh, you can still change people's lives, right? So, so as we get through this, uh, here's what I want you to understand. Here's another big point. So not only do we get the point of, of your, your relationship should matter before your behavior. Paul is writing this in prison. Anybody? I don't want you. Anybody know somebody who's been to prison? That way you don't have to be in trouble, right? Where's Guy at when you need him? Guy's online. Guy would have his hand up right now. He's visited prison a couple times. So I can say that because he shared that in his testimony. So, so you know, keep that in mind. Like, as, as the this, this guy's not like in this hunky dory great place. He's suffering. He's probably flat out like miserable. Um, even even the stage, if this the stage where he was on his house arrest part. Like he's chained to his house, but still preaching from the porch. Oh, you know, so, so keep this in mind. He's, he's drawing attention to people, you know, why he's in this. So, so here's the lesson. He didn't stop helping people because he was hurting. Right now, how often is it we get sidetracked with our own pain and we forget about other people? How often is it we come to church thinking we need to get something out of it and we forget we're supposed to be being the church to give something out of it. Right. How many of our volunteer ideas are going to be for me, 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 me versus getting out there to this world that needs him, 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 him? Right. We got to think about this kind of stuff. Was right. So here's what Paul says. Verse one. Let's jump into this thing. We're only going to make through 14 and we're going to skip some in the middle. So so we're good. We're good. Verse one. Paul says, Paul, an apostle, a special messenger of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, by the divine will of God. Now, here's what I want you to write in if some Bibles might actually have it. Depending on what kind of study Bible you got. When it says the divine will of God, here's what I want to make sure you know. You can write it in or put it in your notes, whatever. That's the purpose and the choice of God. So here's also the question then the themes from that. Are you doing the will of God? Or are you doing your will? You understand the difference? When we do God's will, that's something we do not because we want to, but because we agree with God. God called us to do it. And we have to step up to the plate and do those things because it's what he's He's commanded us to do, right? You ever met people that are just frustrated in life? Maybe you're one of those people. So if you're not raising your hand or thinking, I know somebody, somebody is thinking that you are the person that they're, they're thinking about during this question, right? You get so frustrated, so upset, you're so unfulfilled. And the truth behind the matter is this. Whatever you're doing is probably something you decided to do, and it doesn't line up with the will of God. Paul, right off the rip, as he's writing his church, he's telling him, guys, I'm, I'm doing the will of God. 
Like I can write this. I can smile. I can be in prison. I can be bound up in chains and I'm good because I'm doing the will of God. You guys, as you go through some of this, this stuff, you know, that we just listed in your, in your city and in your town and, and in your families and in your workplace and all that kind of stuff, like you can make it and you can be okay with it and you can smile and you can have joy still because you're doing the will of God. So if you're unsatisfied and you're, you're grumpy all the time or whatever else, it's probably because you're not doing the right will, right? Don't we say, don't we say something in this prayer about your, not your will be done, but no, it's not my will be done, but your will be done, right? Shouldn't we pray that a little more often? I mean, isn't that not what, what he's trying? Maybe that should be like a regular prayer. So ask yourself right now, make sure you, make sure you are honest. Are you in the will of God? How much time do you actually spend seeking the will of God? How often do you pray? God, help me know your will in this thing. You know, before we even open a chapter in scripture, one of my biggest things I spend this week, I spent almost four of the days just praying on which one of the letters. I mean, literally. Like every day, many times I go throughout the day, which letter, which letter. I knew it was supposed to be Paul's letters. That was, that was, that was a given. But which one? Which one? I mean, there's a lot of choices when you got Paul's letters, right? That's half the New Testament. Oh, you know, so, so, so we got to make sure. And then when you get to it, you got to be praying, God, I want, I want your lesson out of it. You know, I was ashamed to look up and, and try to find some stuff after, after getting it and after reading and after, after grabbing some of my stuff. I was ashamed of how many people just skip over the beginning of chapter one. I'm like, oh, that predestined word, it scared the crap out of them pastors. They didn't know what to do, right? They, they, they were lost. They were, oh, well, I can't bring that up. My church will hate me, right? Well, you can hate me all you want to. I don't care as long as you get God's word, right? I don't care if you like me. I care if you love Jesus, all right? So, so, so we need to grab a hold of that and make sure we get this as we jump into this thing. So here's maybe something we should pray. God, if I'm not doing anything that you want me to be doing, help me to change. If I'm doing something you don't want me to be doing, help me to get rid of it. But more than everything else, Lord, please help me to live my life in your will, your purpose, and your plan that you have lined out for me. Because this thing's going to go much deeper than just being picked to have a relationship with God, okay? Once you get the relationship, that's just like the beginning of everything. You understand that? He also said, I've, I've chosen you to be holy and blameless. That means you've got to live a life worthy of being holy and blameless, right? So it doesn't, it doesn't just stop the minute you're chosen to be on the team. Right? You ever played kickball as a kid? You ever been the last kid picked on the playground? You know, they still expect you to kick the ball. I mean, think about it. They still expect you to, like, you still got something to do in there. So we need to understand there's more to do than just getting picked to be on the team. So Paul says, verse two, and this is the way Paul often greeted stuff and some others greeted it. We probably would think it was really weird if we were walking down the street and did it. But verse two is interesting. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied through you, to you, through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's like, what's up, bro? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, and we can't use this. So understand, like, this is something for them in that time period. Like, if you were walking down the road, you know, and you meet some believers and you say, hey, grace, peace be multiplied to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to scratch their head. They're going to think you're one of those weirdos that probably shouted out one of God's names um, and what he meant to you at the beginning of a service. And, and that's where it's going to go. Right. But but here's what Paul's saying. And here's what I love. Paul knew the importance of words and he knew the importance of order. Of words. He doesn't say peace and grace be multiplied to you. He says grace and peace. Grace and then what? Peace. You guys understand the order here? Peace doesn't come before grace. You got to get the grace before you can get some peace. So if we go back to like what we're talking about with people who are miserable and, and just unhappy right here, if you were to ask somebody, maybe we could do it this way. If you were to ask anybody in your daily walk, 
Hey, could you use more peace in your life? What are you going to say? Is anybody going to say no to that? Hey, could you use more peace? Nah, I'm the most peaceful person you know. Get away from me. All right? Nobody's going to turn down more peace, right? So, so Paul says, look, I want you to have more peace, but you need to understand, like, until you know and understand the grace of God, you're going to be frustrated a lot. You're going to be upset. There's going to be ideas in scripture that frustrate you because you're not understanding the grace before everything. So you got to get the grace first. And grace is so much more. We use the definition all the time. Nothing wrong with it, but we use the definition all the time of unmerited favor. You know, grace is God's undeserved or unmerited favor. And it is. But when you study stuff like Ephesians and, and, and you do a maybe if you need more peace in your life, you need to do a Bible study on grace. Maybe that's your problem. You've been wanting more peace and you've been Bible studying peace. You need to Bible study grace so that you can get more of the peace. That makes sense. You're like, no, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. You just do it. Right. Like, like roll into it. So, so here's we we look at this un, unmerited favor. It goes further. Like when we understand that God's doing things for us for no reason, we understand how much he loves us. We understand how crazy he is about us. We understand the, the power of God, the ability of God that's made available to us to do whatever he asks us to do. God ever given you a job so big you thought it was impossible? You ever scratched your head and been like, you sure this is what you want me to be doing? This is what you want me to start? This is, I wonder how many of our men, when we go, when we go through, you know, a Wednesday night study, how many of them like scratch their head before they're willing to take a chapter? Right? Like, ah, I don't know if the Lord wants me teaching a chapter. Why not? Maybe you go get something out of that chapter that somebody else wouldn't get. You're going to and highlight the life of somebody through that. Why not? You know what I'm saying? Some of you think, well, the Lord really wants me to sleep because he took naps. Nah, but he really wants you to get fed on scripture, too, because he also got fed before he took a nap every time. Right. So so quit substituting laziness for, for time with the Lord. Right. And, and, and when we talk about God giving us that grace, you know, unmerited favor. Yes. But he gives us that to accomplish like the task is. How about those everyday tasks? Does God not call you to live an everyday life? I'm not talking about it. Doesn't know what I am talking about, but it doesn't have to be just these big things that God calls us to do. What about going to the grocery store? Laundry. You ever done laundry and hated every minute of it? Seriously, right? Your peace is gone. You ever done laundry and felt good at the end? I'm being serious. Think about some of these everyday tasks. You hated laundry. Why? Because it was nasty at the time. Fold, I don't fold socks. I'm not allowed to fold nothing. None. I am required to wash and dry everything. But folding, I got I got disqualified from that team. Got kicked off. I wasn't good at it. I couldn't even hang stuff up on hangers, but that's how bad it is. Right? So if you're bad enough at something, you don't have to do it. At our house. Right? <laughs> but, but, but here's the difference. So you do it begrudgingly. You do it aggravatingly. What if you picked up those nasty work clothes and you're like, man, I'm so grateful God gave me a job. Pay bills. What are those nasty little stained up underwear from your children? You're like, I'm so glad I got kids. Right? Like, I don't know how they put this on this item of clothing, but praise God, he blessed me with kids. Right? Or, or, or your, your, your wife stuff. And, you know, you're like, what? I don't even know how this. You know, I would just be grateful you got a wife. That loves you and takes care of you, right? And since y'all's head went there, thank God she wears those kind of things, right? Like, that ain't what I was talking about. Y'all being unholy over there. Thought y'all was the holy section, but you're not no more. I'm going over here, right? So, so what's another job you hate doing? Dishes. You didn't mind eating it, did you? Was you not grateful the Lord filled your belly? 
I started taking the kids to school the second half of this week. It's the worst year ever of traffic. I don't know what happened. I've been taking kids to school since they were since Paxson was four years old. That's been my job, right? I don't know what happened this year, but it is bad. Right? But you know what? I got some time with the kids in the morning. Right? I got kids that are going to school. I got a car that ran to get me there. You ever notice how like you can hate the day-to-day stuff? You, you ever go grocery shopping? How many of you enjoy grocery shopping? Y'all enjoy grocery What is wrong with you people? Right? Like y'all got a special mission going on. You know what I'm saying? I hate grocery shopping. Right? But I'm too lazy to do the online thing either. During my place, I was like, you know, they got this online order. You just place it all in. And I, I never do it, even though I hate going to the grocery store. But you ever think about like what, what if God, what if God gave me some of that grace for the day-to-day of grocery shopping? Like, what if I walked around the grocery store and normally hated being around all the people? And I was like, man, these are people who need Jesus. Man, who am I going to bump into that I can have a conversation about how much God loves them? About how God loved them before there was even an earth, which means that he knew he was going to create people. Sometimes I think like people think like at this creation process, God got to the end. and He was like, oh, man, I love something out. Like, it didn't surprise God that he left something out. He loved you before he created the first thing on earth is what the chapter said. You, you got that? You understand that? Like before there was a star and a moon and darkness and land and land and water and all. I said he loved you and picked you out before then. You're not an afterthought. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he's crazy about you. So crazy. Like he made everything and then said, I got it just right. I can put them in now. Right? If he didn't love you, he might have made you first and made you have to make it all yourself. But, you know, the thing about it. but what about the day to day stuff? I just think if we understood that God's grace that provides peace went so much further than what we try to label it down into being, we could be so much more happy people. And I'm not just talking about happiness for like, we got a smile on the face. I'm talking about like, so people can feed off of our passion for living life, feed off of our passion for wanting to be who we're supposed to be. Right. So I guess maybe I'm not asking, or I am asking like, are you enjoying a a life of peace? But I'm asking more of like, do you understand God's grace and that it's got for you? How much deeper it actually goes. Right. Because I think most people think like, if I don't have peace, I need to change my circumstances. No. You don't have peace. You need to change your inside. I got news for you. Your circumstances ain't changing. If anything, if we're being honest with them, your circumstances are probably going to get worse. You know what I'm saying? You ever been there? We're like, man, I, I can't handle no more. And wait, we, we got this. I mess up sometime at the shop. I'd be like, man, it can't get, can't get any worse than this. And Peyton look at me and be like, don't say that. <laughs> of all the things you want to say, leave that sentence out, right? And sure enough, sometimes it goes the other way. Verse three. Order's important. Right. Then you can get the rest of God, the peace of God. Verse three. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. What? What does that say? God has blessed us in Christ. Let, let's just stop right there. Like we don't even have to go any further. Let's let's make sure we get down in Christ. You, you understand those words? Because we read a lot of scripture that has like this idea behind it. And I don't know, like if we fully grasp what those two little words really mean and why they're so important, right? So what's so important about it saying in Christ? Because there's a big difference of who I am in Christ and who I am on my own. Do do we understand that? As we're jumping into understanding stuff, right? It's not exciting at all about who I am. It's real exciting about who I am in Christ, right? So being in Christ, here's what it means. It means we get what he paid for. We get not only what he deserves, but what we don't deserve. Right. We're joining. Scripture says you're an inheritor with him. You're an heir with him. Right. So you inherit what he earned on his own. And if you're thinking right now, man, that really seems so unfair. 
it is for us or for him. Right? However you want to weigh that thing out, right? Why, why should I get what I don't deserve? What well, takes us back to God's grace and God's mercy? We're receiving all this stuff. Why? From God by faith or what? By by believing. Here's what it does. And here's, here's why I think the beginning of this letter is so important. Especially when we talk about this verse four that's coming up, right? This humbles you completely. Because if you thought it was something you did, man, I'm going to pop your bubble today because you did nothing. You know what I'm saying? That means like the dude at the grocery store that you didn't like talking to because he smelled funny and looked funny or whatever. That means you in the same boat as him originally. Right? All, all, all pride has got to leave when it's God who chose you, right? So, so now you've been humbled, right? And here's what else that means for humbling, by the way. Let me just go while we're there. We might as well keep on going, right? That means like when you think you're supposed to come in here and the music's supposed to make you feel good, you can kick that idea right on out the door that you came in, right? Because it ain't about you. You need to come in and ask, does this music make God feel good? Is this making Abba Father proud, right? Instead, you want to come in and, well, I just didn't feel good today about it. Well, good. What was wrong with your heart? Let, let's get, let's get, let's get to the real matter. Well, no, it wasn't my heart. It was, it was that lady on stage. I don't know what she was doing. Right? I know what she was doing. She was worshiping. What were you doing? Let's get back to the matter that matters. Let's be real about it, right? Let's go ahead. If we're going to call it, let's call it. Or we go to a Bible study. Well, you know, I just didn't get nothing out of it. How much studying did you do? How much preparing did you do? I'm going to be honest. There ain't nobody at Brookhaven that got an excuse for not getting out of that scripture because you ought to be getting more than I'm getting before I even give it to you. There's no guessing game where we at at this church. You know what I'm saying? Well, unless you're a woman, y'all keep on people on their toes. Right? Huh? Just being honest, right? If you a man, you in Matthew chapter 13 this week. You understand that? Yeah, everybody got it. Let me look at all my men. Matthew chapter 13, parable start. Read them. Get what you can get out of it. Come share it with the rest of us. Right? If you're too lazy to come on a Wednesday, I'm just going to keep on rolling with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're too lazy to be on a Wednesday, Ephesians chapter 1 still next week for Sunday. All right? You get something good out of it, call me, text me, we'll talk about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got no excuses. I didn't get nothing out of it. Maybe because you didn't try to get nothing out of it. Right? My wife just don't make me happy. Her job ain't to make you happy. Right? My husband just don't make me. His job ain't to make you happy. Them kids drive me bananas. That's their job. <laughs> Understand it. <laughs> I think God give people kids to grow their patience. Right? So it's like an exercise. Right? And it's exercise on love. Right? Because if you could choose not to love them, sometimes you would. Am I right? Do you understand? Like when we talk about this, it, let's go on because we're there, right? Like when we talk about God, God, you know, God loved you like, like you love a kid. You ever tried like somebody said, like, how do you love them? I, I don't know. You ever tried to explain that? though? For real, think about it. Parents. Like, when they mean, like, do you love them because they're tall? Do you love them because they're short? Do you love them because they're smart? When they come home with a bad report card, do you love them less? When they did good in the game, do you love them more? Be honest about it. Right? When they, when, when they're kind, that love now, not like them. You can like them more and you can like them less. Everybody understand the difference in like and love, right? My boys know I like you sometime and I don't like you sometime. Right? When you miss that tackle, you'll say, I didn't like you. I still loved you. I loved you. I was crazy about you. It actually made me matter because I loved you. Right? 
We call it like it is. There's no need to, we, we don't sugarcoat. You know what I'm saying? Like when you come home with straight A's, I don't love you no more. You don't peek down. I hate to tell you. Alright? You're done. Right? Think about it. Have you ever tried to explain like the love of a child? When God in a minute talks about choosing you and choosing you into adoption, you know what he's saying? Like he's like, I, I love them so much and nothing they can do makes me love them more and nothing they do makes me love them less. Now, just like us, God can like you more and like you less. We don't like that in church. We're like, hold on, what you mean? I can tell you a lot. Well, in fact, we just went through a series on kings. If you need to know what happens when God don't like you, you need to go back and listen to that series if you missed it. All right? If you need to know what happens when he does like you, there's some stuff in there too, just not a lot of it. Right? There's not a lot of him liking us in kings, right? So we need to understand that. It's a big difference, right? But what I love about this whole section that we're getting into is it takes you out of it. So it's no longer about you. It's about what God wants to do through you, what God's doing for you, what God can do, what God, what God plans to do. It's all God. So, so what, what Paul is writing at the beginning of this letter is, yes, you guys are in a sucky situation, but it ain't about you. It's about him. It's about his glory. Right? Everything, when we, when, what we mess up sometimes, guys, is when we think our lives is about us. It, it gets us confused. Like, I don't, I don't know why God would do that. You don't have to know why God would do it. What you got to know is God's going to get some glory from it somewhere along the way because everything he does is for his glory is what it says. Right? Even the bad stuff. Even the bad stuff. Now, that's tough to swallow. I'm not saying that's an easy pill. I'm just saying the reality of that matter is this. like God loves you, but he's not doing everything for you. He does everything in spite of you. I mean, really, that's that's how it goes, right? So check this out. So we're in Christ. Therefore, Christ gives us these privileges. Which, by the way, if you're a note taker, I'd left this out and it's important. In God's economy, you got to believe before you see. Big difference. Big thing, seriously. If you don't believe it, you probably ain't ever going to see it, to be honest. You know, you could say this. You could say that belief for a believer is the key to everything. You know, you got a house that's full of good stuff, right? You, if you, if you lock your house, you can't get into it until you have that key, right? So as a believer, you should always have the key of believing with you everywhere you go so you can open it and get all this good stuff. Right? So, so in God's economy, we start by believing and then we see. I love this because it goes against everything we try to say, right? It's not according to what you see. It's not according to what you feel. None of the little hunky dory things, right? You believe. So by the, by the God's grace, by God's mercy, all the wonderful things that you can become and all the wonderful things that God has done for you in spite of you, this free gift, then scripture says that he sends this Holy Spirit to work with us throughout our life. He says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. You're not alone even when you feel alone. I'm bringing things to your remembrance when you need to remember. You, you ever remembered something and you didn't know you needed to remember it? And I ain't talking about your grocery item when you're walking down the grocery store, right? I'm talking about like big things in life. You ever had like something hit you? Like when you, you, you start caring for somebody? I'll never forget my wife's uh, big turnaround, I guess you could call it, right? So she starts studying scripture and, and investigating and checking things out. And she's driving down the road and starts crying over a bunch of them weirdos in traffic. I want to run people over in traffic, right? Like, that's where I'm at. That's why I drive a big truck. Like, if it comes down to it, I'm going to win that battle, right? But she, she's sitting in the car just crying over him. You're like, why are you crying? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I, I just, I'm just crying over these people, right? These people. Why? Because God gave her a compassionate feeling for people. So, so don't awe, because here we are 15 years later. She goes to law school think I'm going to have a sugar mama, right? And she tells me, hey, I think we go help the poor people that can't help themselves. So I'm still going to work at the tire shop for the rest of my life. No sugar mama, right? Like that's just, that's what I figured out. 
Like, we're going to be the people who spent $60,000 to get a law degree, and then we're going to go more into debt with it. Right? Like, that's us. That's, yeah, for the people. You tell somebody outside the church that, they're going to think you're crazy, right? Some of you believers understand. You're like, yeah. Crystal's more holy than Philip. We already knew that. Right? I ain't going to deny it at all. Right? I've been saved longer, though. That should count for some. She was an atheist when we met. What's up? Huh? Uh, there's that thing I said at the beginning about God not loving you more or less. I'm sorry. I forgot about that. So, so check this out. Here's where we're going, right? So in the Holy Spirit, he sends you to help you work things out through us, in us, out of us, things that we can't even see, right? Here's what we need to understand, though, as we get into the beginning of saying, the world needs to see that work in you. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like, the world needs to see... You know, it needs to see a person who looks saved, who behaves saved, who acts saved, right? But I can't do anything about my behavior until I do something about my beliefs. You get that? So that, that's why I'm starting right here with beliefs. Just, the, the whole thing's just on beliefs, right? God can't produce something to me that I don't believe. A, a, am I right? So, so we need to get this belief part right. How many of y'all say I have no self-control? There's a good, that's my example, by the way. I'll just be honest. So I, I'm good on examples when I'm going through stuff. I wrote down like one of one of the things I believe, which is false, is that I've got no self control. Isn't that isn't that wrong? What does scripture say when I become his? Oh, dang it. He puts that spirit of what in me? What? Why? Why? Cause because that's what I need. So so if I say I have no self control or you say, I think there's somebody else in the room who would probably say it too, right? That's not true. I might not be using my self-control. I might not have developed my self-control. I might not be practicing or exercising my self-control. But it's a lie straight from Satan if I say I don't have any self-control. I've got it. I've just got to start believing it and work it out, right? We need to believe that we have what God says we have. Because if we believe it, then we can produce what God says we can produce. And some of you right now are thinking, well, that's great, Pastor. But when's that going to happen? I have no idea. Hear me. I have no idea. I think there's some things we're waiting on God for, and I think there's a lot of things God's waiting on us for. Right? So, so I can't tell you that I know for sure when these things. Well, I can tell you for sure is I know he's faithful. I, I, I know that he doesn't fail me. I know, I know that he might not give me what I want, but he's going to give me what I need. Right? So, so I, I can go with that. In Christ, God provided everything we need. But the question is, have we possessed what we've been promised? That's a good question. We need to write that down. Have you possessed what you've been promised, right? Because in Christ, it says with us, this spiritual Holy Spirit that comes on us. Let's just get to verse four and read it again. Throw all your your other stuff in the trash, right? Cultural ideas got to go. Number four. And if you've got questions on it, it's okay. Questions are good. You understand that? I don't don't know where we develop this idea that we shouldn't ask questions in church. You shouldn't ask them why I'm preaching because that's rude. But I might not have the answer prepared, right? For he chosen him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Verse five, he has this idea again. He predestined us for adoption. Some of your translations say he selected us. Some of your translations say verse 11. He chose according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Right. This raises all kind of questions, man. You don't have questions after reading this like you need to be up here preaching next week. Seriously. 
Think about what, 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 what about my free will? Why does God choose some people and not others? You ain't got to ask them out loud. I'll ask them. They're real questions. They're real things that go through our mind, right? I'm not going to answer none of them. You thought there was answers coming with them, didn't you? Right? No. No. What I am going to do is I'm going to do this right here. I want to know exactly what Paul is teaching here and why he's teaching it here because here's where God called us to go in Scripture. That all right? That makes sense? Some of you are like, no, I wanted all my other questions answered. We might get to them one day, right? In 25 years, we might make it through the whole Bible. Who knows, right? Let me give you, let me give you a little ground rule for approaching the Bible, right? There are some things about God that we'll never fully understand. Right? The Bible tells it, the Bible flat out tells us that. Go to Deuteronomy 29, 29. Also gives us a good lesson in there, right? 29, 29, it says this, the secret things belong to Yahweh our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us. And our children forever. That we may do all the words of his law. You get a couple things in this verse right here that you got to grab a hold of. First one is this. There's a distinction between revealed things and secret things. By the way, men, as we get ready to go into parables, some of those secret mysteries that it always talks about get revealed in parables. They get revealed through Jesus. Right? Which is kind of cool to think about. Not all of them. Don't think you can get them all. But some of them. So it's cool. The other thing, it gives us our responsibility. Here's what Moses is saying. Who, who, who wrote this thing? He's saying it's our job to believe and obey what is revealed, not to figure out what's hidden. Did you hear any other verse in there, any other idea that said, and the things you can't figure out, you work until you can figure them out? Nope. All it says is there's some things the Lord going to know, and you're not going to. There's some things you're going to know that the Lord knows because he wants you to know them. And your job, look at what it says. Not only is, is you to know it and your children to know it, so therefore you ought to be teaching your children. Then it says your job, that we may do all the words of this law. Well, what is this law at that time? The revealed things. So if it's been revealed, guess what? You better be doing it. Now, what that also means is the Holy Spirit reveals different stuff to us at different stages in our walk, too. So for you holy, moly, righteous people who think you're better than everybody else, some things that are revealed to you ain't been revealed to somebody else. We, you know, you understand that? Like, that's what he's saying. He's saying the, the longer you grow in your walk with the Lord, the more that gets revealed. Right? So, so you, you need to be now, that also means you need to be getting some revealing. Right? If you've been last 25 years and you walk with the Lord and you ain't had nothing revealed, you probably ain't been checking out scripture and trying to find something. Right? But he's saying, I, I want to reveal more to you through this. Now, theologians, church people, we hate it. We hate it because we're talking about God and we're like, I want to figure it all out. You don't get to figure it all out. Let, let me ask it to you this way. And since we're talking about God, like, I don't think this should really surprise us. Right? You ever tried to, you never tried to explain, uh, quantum physics to a four-year-old? Who understands quantum physics? Just one person. I just need one person who understands quantum physics. You understand quantum physics? What? I totally picked that example because I didn't think anybody would have any idea what it was. Somebody go back there and get the youngest child we have and bring him up here. Corey, if you understand it, you should be able to teach it. What? So hold on, hold on. This is good. This is good, man. God is awesome, right? You understand it. Don't be hiding, right? You understand it, but you still can't teach it to a four-year-old? It's because they're so young. I understand. Teach it to Nate. He's right beside you. 
Have you taught it to your husband? What? You don't understand quantum physics? Is quantum physics real though? <laughs> My point exactly. You don't have to know what it is for it to be real. Am I right? You also don't have to be able to explain it to know that it's real. Now let me ask you this way. This is this is this is where it, where it got for me, right? Is the gap between her understanding of quantum physics, since she's the only one in the room that does, and the four-year-old back at Kids Haven bigger? Or is the gap between me and the Lord bigger and understanding things? You don't have to think about it, guys. I'm a moron, right? Like I, just, I have to study all week long to get this stuff. Like it is not an easy thing for me, right? It, it's much bigger between me and the Lord. Or if you didn't want to hurt my feelings, is it not bigger between you and the Lord? Jess, you've been to college now. Justin, sorry. You've been to college now, right? Like you've got a week under your belt. You're a genius. You are so far ahead of some people in here, it blows my mind. Do you understand quantum physics? You don't? Have you taken a class on it yet? Is it real, though? I guess. <laughs> if I need to circle A on the test, then yes. <laughs> think about it, though, guys. What makes us think when we need to keep our subject matter in mind? When we're talking about God, that's the subject matter. The gap between our brain and him is going to be ginormous. Right? Much bigger than, than, than Corey to, to a four-year-old for quantum physics. But does that change the understanding of what quantum physics is real or not? No, it's real. We don't understand it, but it's real. Right? There's a lot of stuff I don't understand. I still can't fathom. I can do the math problem, by the way. I did look it up and learn it. I, I can't fathom how a plane flies. Still blows my mind. I can do it mathematically. I can put it on paper for you. Just because I, I looked it up and I, I figured out the number game. But... Still blows my mind. How can something that big, that heavy fly through the sky? Like, doesn't make sense, right? But do planes fly every day? Every day. So don't tell me because your little brain can't grab a hold of it that it must not be true or it's confusing. So therefore, we don't want to look at it. You, you understand what I'm saying? I don't want us to be scared of God being so much bigger and the things of God being so much bigger than us that we just ignore them. I just embrace them. I'm so glad that God is that much bigger, that much mightier than me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want a little tiny God that I can understand. If I can understand God, he is, man, there's a lot of problems going on. It's almost like this. You knew you had to get some beach illustrations coming, right? Like, it's almost like when we look at chapters like this, we're like, man, that's, that's some deep stuff. I picture us like the, like the six or seven year old that's in the ocean. You know, they walk out. You ever watch them when they walk out? They see how far they can go before that little drop off. And then maybe a 12-year-old, they go just a little bit further than them because they can. Right? They're like, ha, I'm a little taller. I can go a little further. And then then you ever watch like when they get to that very end, like it's like seven foot of water. That's all. But they're like, oh, it's so deep. I can't even touch. What happens if they go another mile out? Right? Two miles out. Three miles out. Then we're talking miles deep. This is how it is with Scripture, guys. Like we can talk all day about, man, that's... That's deep. This is like, guys, like you just now walked off to like the edge. You ain't even seen deep yet. Right? Like that, that's how deep it's going to be. We're going to say, all right, check this out. Verse four, chosen in him. Here, here's what I want you to understand too. All right. So he cherished you. He planned to redeem you. In verse three through verse 14, we're going to call it the process of salvation. Paul's explaining. 
All right. So, yes, we're going to come back and check out some of those verses next week as well. But what I want to point out is this. God's the one taking the action today. What I also want to point out just for me, because I had a problem with run on sentences as a college student. This is a 202 one word sentence. And in the Greek, it makes perfect sense. (laughs) Somebody's like, what does that matter? I don't know. But my wife would have told me it would have never worked if I did a 202 word sentence and not put any periods. But it works here in this sentence. Who would ever thought this guy would come out with this, right? In this sentence, you got 48 pronouns. 30 of them belong to God. That's a lot, right? Huh? There are 24 verbs or action sequences. God does 20 of them. 20 of them out of 24. Here's what God does. Verse 3, God blesses. Verse 4, God chooses. Verse 5, he predestines and he adopts. Verse 6, he bestows grace. Verse 7, he redeems and he forgives. Verse 8, he lavishes. Verse 9, he makes known his purposes. Verse 10, he ignites together in Christ. Verse 11, he works. Verse 13, he seals. You want to know the four things we do? We listen, we receive, we believe, and we hope. That's it. You listen, you receive, you believe, and you hope. You ever heard people ask questions, well, what do we do for salvation? You did the sinning part, God does the saving part. It's, it's kind of like the same kind of thing. Like God did 20 of the 24 things. Why, why did he choose you? You ever wonder why he chose you? That's where I went with it. I was like, why, why me? Like, what, what is it about me? Is it like God, God looked at, I know you can look at some people and be like, you know, that's, that's a good looking person. I want them on the team. Right? They look like they can play ball. That's how I'll, I'll select them. Sometimes that'll get you in trouble, by the way. Right? Man, they, they, they can debate well. I want them. No, none of that. None of that. The, the only thing I grab a hold of, if we go back to the Old Testament, Israel kind of asked God, like, why, why us? Chapter seven, Deuteronomy. This is what he tells them in seven through eight. It was not because you are more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you are the fewest of all people. It's just because the Lord loves you. You know what he's saying? Like, it's not your potential. I didn't choose you because you could do something cool. I didn't choose you because you were great. You became great because I chose you. Understand that. Sometimes we get those things reversed and thinking we great. You're only great because God chose you. Right. Then you may be thinking, well, I wasn't as sinful as other people. Maybe God like had a little bit less to do. Here's what he said then. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 6. You know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you into this good land to possess it because of your righteousness for your stubborn people. Basically, he's saying, like, I didn't pick you because you got a good heart because your heart is harder than most of the people. Right. Chapter 2, Paul says it this way. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, I need you all to understand something. Death ain't got no limits. It ain't got no levels either. You understand what I'm saying? You ever seen The Princess Bride? Oh, come on. Somebody stay with me. Just one person. Yes. Oh, now we all. It's like, yeah, right? Princess Bride. Wesley dies. So you got an Eagle Montoya and you got Andre the Giant. The movie's got everything if you ain't never seen it. Really old, though. Prepare yourself. Right? But it's got everything. So so this, this hero of the movie dies and they, they take him to the witchcraft doctor. Not supporting that in church. That's wrong. Right? They take him there, and here's what he says. He goes, well, good news. He's only mostly dead. You can't mostly be dead. That's bad science and bad theology. Right? You're either all dead or you're not. And when Paul says that we were dead in our sins, he's saying, like, you were all dead. Jesus didn't go around Jerusalem looking for people who were mostly dead, did he? Matter of fact, didn't he do the exact opposite? When when his good friend died, what did he do? You realize he was only one town over. I don't know if anybody's ever studied the location with the whole Lazarus thing. 
right? When, when he was dead, you remember, and, and his friends got mad. They were like, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. He's like right, he's like right there. He, he's like over at Christina's eating a sub while you guys were at Brookhaven, right? And he's like, oh, well, I'll, I'll get there in a minute. Four days go by. Four. You think that's, you think like that, that was, that was an accident? No, he's waiting that long on purpose. He wants to make sure they know he is dead, dead. And he raises him up. Right? God didn't choose to do it because we were lovable either, man. Ch- chapter 2, not to, not to get there too far, but in chapter 2 in Paul's writing, he says that sin had made us God's enemies. Made us recipients of God's wrath. We saw that in Kings, so maybe God had a purpose in us looking at Kings first, right? Before we'd ever done good or bad, Scripture says that God said his love on us. Here's the way Spurgeon writes it. I think this is like spot on. I couldn't do any better, obviously. I have no questions that God chose me because I am quite sure that if God had not chosen me, I should have never been. I would have never chosen him. And I'm sure that he chose me before I was born or else maybe he would have never chosen me afterwards. That he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find any reason in myself why I should have looked upon him with this special love. So I feel like I am forced to accept this doctrine. Of him choosing me. How honest is that, right? Like he had to choose me because I would have never chosen him on my own. Think about it. what does scripture say about our hearts? They're evil. We, we, we don't, we don't have, we, we have a, we have a selfish problem in our hearts. Jesus said that those will come because I've called them to come, right? And, and now you're thinking, well, hold on, pastor. While we're on this thing and we're asking these tough questions, doesn't that violate my free will? No. Not from what I read. The Bible says nothing about his choice ever going against your choice. Matter of fact, everything I read in Scripture says that his choice is like a concert with your choice. Right? So it makes it even better. Everything I read says whosoever will come may come. John 6, 44. But no one comes unless they're drawn by the Father. So you got like all these all these weird questions and thoughts going on, right? You know the word for draw in that, by the way, is the same word they would use for a guy who's hungry and has no food. Now you got to think about it. think about think about that time you finally surrendered to understanding like like something in scripture something about the Lord something about the kingdom right can you describe it like you was hungry for something more right that's what it was it was our hunger God gave us a hunger that drew us to Jesus right well why didn't God choose everybody is that not a question next who says he didn't you read a verse that says he didn't I'm just asking I don't know if that's the answer by the way I. I just don't see anything that says like he didn't choose everybody, right? The big question. The other thing I'd say about it, just to be honest, right, is God's not obligated to choose any of us. Scripture says we're all a bunch of heathens. Scripture says we're all his enemies. We're all put him on the cross, right? So he's not obligated to do any. That's why it's called a free gift of undeserved grace. Second thing I'd say, or third thing I guess I'd say on, on this is this, when we talk about this idea. Scripture never presents a lack of God's choosing as a result somebody didn't come. It's always on us. It's always on us. Think about it. There's, there's nowhere in there that says like somebody wanted to come and God told them no. Right? Don't, don't be afraid of, of scripture, man. Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing? How many groups has God wanted to gather that were not willing? Right? Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Huh. So he actually does want everybody 
The Bible itself ends, Revelation 22, 17. Whosoever will may come. So does that not say it is a choice too then? Huh. But now you're thinking, hold on now, if it's God choosing and my choice, how do those go together? I have no idea. I don't need to have an idea. I need to take scripture as I go through it, piece by piece, and understand that God's working all those puzzles in together. Right? Where we get in trouble and where we start dividing is when we try to make a verse say something it doesn't say. Am I right? Look at how many religions and things we got, guys. We can't even stay together as, as one doctor, one uh, denomination. You, you know what I'm saying? You ever look at how many Baptists there's out there now? There was Baptists, and now there's Southern Baptists, and there's Eastern Baptists, and then there's Independent Baptists, and then there's those other Baptists, and, and then there's those that act like Baptists who aren't Baptists, and then there's Baptocostals, which is kind of where we fall out. And the, I mean, you got all this stuff going on, right? It, and it's all because what? We didn't like one word here or one word there, and we couldn't swallow the fact of, of God being bigger than us, so we just made up our own understanding of it. How wrong are we when we make up our own understanding of Scripture? Why is it so hard to just look at somebody and be like, I don't know how God chooses me and I choose him. You know, like you see how easy that was? It took me 30 seconds. I think I could do it in 10. I don't know how God chose me and I chose you. I messed it up. Sorry, I tried to go too fast. Right? Think about it. What's wrong with that? Can somebody tell me? Because that's like this big hiccup in the world, right? There's nothing wrong with it. Stop making scripture say stuff it don't say. Verse 14 again. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You're not only chosen for salvation, you're chosen for holiness. We forget about this part when we look at this chosen, right? You're like, oh, God chose us, I can do anything I want. No. You fail on the understanding of God's sovereignty and you diminish your personal responsibility for personal holiness and sanctification. There's a whole point of the Spirit being inside of you. Verse 5. Go back to that again. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. God walked into the orphanage of sin to the sons and daughters of the traitors, deformed by sin, and, and love welled up in him and said, I choose that one. That's a cool picture, man. Right? I've talked to a lot of people who have adopted. And, 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 and as I talk to them, they've talked about some of the conditions they've they've gone to. Like we, we played ball a couple of years with a boy who was adopted uh, from a tribe in Africa. And they, they described like when they went to get him, I think he was three or four at the time. And like, you know, sleeping on the floor with like 50 people in this little tent. And, and they went and picked him out. And he was he was just being honest, man. He was nasty and he was rough and all this stuff. And they still brought him home. Right. You talk to somebody else who goes and and sometimes they get this this word of, well, you know, the mama was a crackhead. So there's no telling what this baby might end up being. And that don't stop them, though. It don't stop them. It could be a 10 year, 10 year old blind dog and it'll stop them. Why? Because some kind of love wells up that we can't describe. I can't I can't tell you like why I love my kids. It's just it's just a feeling I got. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's just there. I don't, can, can anybody describe why they love their kids? You know, we went on that a minute ago. You can't really describe it. Like you can't describe why don't I love them less? I should love them less when they do that. But I don't. Right. I like them less, but I don't love them less. Right. We, we, think about this. Verse six takes it even further and says that we were made acceptable in the beloved. How many people today are looking for acceptance? Think about it. How many people you come in contact with on a day to day basis just want to be approved of? They just want to be loved. They just want to be cherished. They just want to be nourished. They want to be told that they're special. 
And God says, you are. God says, I've adopted the way he's adopted us as his own children. He is pleased about this thing. You know, to be quite honest, that love's even like deeper because you think about it like if you've given birth naturally, you're stuck with what you got. Don't laugh. I'm being serious, right? Like Brian, could you imagine, you know, my boy's like six foot six, 300 pounds, probably a little bit over, but we won't throw that out there. Right. He's thinking like, I'm going to have this massive baby, football playing baby, retirement plan, baby. That fool come out at six pounds. I can say that. Here's where I was 12 years, almost 13 years ago in September, right? My goal, baby, eat a lot. Eat a lot. I'm pounding it to her, right? Like, eat a lot. She eat a lot of pizza, right? We was going to name me pepperoni. So he kept the PRP thing going, all the pizza, right? Pound it to her. Finally, she figured out, like, what, why? Why you want me to? Because I want to have the biggest baby in the family. I did. That title's held by a girl who's, seriously, big old fat bowling ball was almost 12 pounds. Right? She don't weigh 120 pounds right now, I don't think. Right? So you got that going. You want to know what title I got? Smallest purpose ever delivered. <laughs> Thanks, son. Couldn't send him back for another one. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm stuck with him. Then they all three got blue eyes. Couldn't send them back. I'm stuck with them. Right? Adoption. They get to pick. I'm pointing this out because here's the problem. Maybe I don't know if any of you guys are adopted. Sometimes people have this idea like because they're adopted, like, man, how bad do I have to be that my, my own birth parents didn't love me enough to keep me? Right? How, how bad did it have to be? The reality is this. If you're adopted, your parents picked you. I got stuck with mine. You know what I'm saying? You got picked. And P.S., as we talk about like all this stuff, it's, man, it's so, I know it was a dog, but it's so spot on that you brought that up. Because I want to make sure you understand. Like God, when he came into the orphanage of sin, he didn't look around and be like, oh, I don't want that one. That's deformed. I don't want that. He said, I want them all. There was no deformity on you that he chose not to get you. Like, he, I want them all. I accept them all. I don't care what problem they have. I don't care if they had a crackhead mama. I don't care if this was their condition. I don't care about the, think about if you adopted somebody who's older. That's where that's where you really mess up, right? Guys, that's why God wants us all like to grow up in church the right way, so we can get a little bit right. Think about when you get older and all messed up in the head. But yet God still says, I'm gonna take them no matter their emotional scarring, no matter their head trauma, no matter their messed up knowledge, no matter what they've been through and the reason they act the way they act, I, I want them. I choose them. God chose you. God chose you. Chris asked me a couple of times this morning, like, what's the title going to be? What's the title going to be? I, like, I don't know. Ephesians 1. She's like, that's not really catchy. I said, I know. So it's chosen. Because you're chosen. And it's a good movie coming on right now. <laughs> that's just coincidence, right? But think about that. You're chosen. And you could argue all day long about all this other stuff, about what that may or may not mean for other stuff. But if God has put a hunger inside of you to check out his stuff at all, you're chosen. I've never this is this is this is too true. Now, again, I'm not saying God did somehow choose everybody. And that's like the cliche thing for the church world to throw out there. So so that we covered our basis on that. that's not what I'm saying. But I've never talked to even atheists 
that can't confess to me that at some point in their life they had a hunger to check stuff out. Ever. Ever. I'm talking some of the like most hard-nosed and smart genius atheists in the world still tell me, oh, you know, there was this, this one time. And I did try this. Ah, oh, so you're telling me God did call you. You just didn't answer the phone. Right? Is it not right? Think about it, guys. If nothing else, here's what's really awesome, right? It says in verse 13, go to verse 13. Yes, we skipped a couple because we'll come back to them. And him also you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believe. You know what this verse is saying? Here's what blew my mind, man. I don't know if you guys get this. So it's saying like you got you got a deposit. You ever went and ordered something, had to put down a deposit? You got some earnest money down. Right? How much did you put down percentage-wise normally? 10%. Exactly. Almost always. Right? You ever felt the Holy Spirit? Believers? Nah, she felt it. Seriously, I asked that question. You shouted like that. You felt it. Nobody else ever felt it. It's me and Michelle. Michelle, can you imagine? Because I done felt it, right? Done run around crazy with it, right? Can you imagine that that was only 10%? And if that's only 10%, girl, can you imagine what 100% going to be like? See, the rest of y'all don't know because y'all ain't never felt it, I guess. But I'm just saying, like, if it says it was a deposit and that wasn't but 10%, maybe it was 25%, I don't care. Could you imagine what four times that would feel like? That's what Paul's writing. He goes, guys, you just you just got like a little bit of the Holy Spirit. You got a down payment on you. Then I kept studying. Gotta blow your mind when you study stuff, man. You gotta, you gotta study, study. And I'm checking out Ephesus and I'm checking out this word sealing and both on the Hebrew and the Greek side of it, trying to grab a hold of it. The word sealing, sealed, is only mentioned two times in Ephesians, once in Corinthians. Both of these cities, here's what's cool. Both of these cities were centers for the lumber industry in Paul's day. So what would happen is they would load all this wood onto these, these barges and boats, and it would go to this area, and you would send, like if you was owner of a company, you'd send your workers down there, and they would look at these logs. You're just like, you ever seen guys when they go to Lowe's? You're at Lowe's. It's all crappy lumber, okay? Like you don't have to spend 45 minutes picking out your two-by-four. They all suck. Well, there's all going to be a bend and a twist and a knot on every single one of them. Sorry if you work at Lowe's. Right, but like you see people down there and they're doing that. This is what they would do. They would send their guy down there. He would check out the wood. If he liked that piece of wood, he would put his company's seal on it. Right? That wood would sit there sometimes for months and months and months because travel wasn't quite like it is nowadays, right? And nobody else would touch that wood because of the seal that was on it. And that's the same word. Some of you thinking, well, that could be a weird coincidence. Well, I love coincidences, right? Because that's the same word that Paul is writing to a city that happens to be in the lumber industry. And he uses this word about the seal that's placed on you is the Holy Spirit. Now, can you imagine how mad Satan must be when he sees that seal all the time? You know what I'm saying? Because we're going to be here for a lot. Of, I hope we're going to be here. Well, maybe I shouldn't hope. I don't know. Right? We're going to be around for a little bit longer than a month, two months, three months. Right? He says, in all that time, you're sealed. You're, you're, you're mine. You're the property of, of Jesus is basically what he's saying, right? And in that, in that sense, I'm going to keep doing more and more. In him, you also trusted after you heard from the word of truth. What? So this doesn't exclude human cooperation, right? It says, in him, you trusted 
after you heard. Verse 13. Right? So, so you do have a part to do. Verses 13 through 14. Here's what I really love. I'm getting to the end, so hold on. Right? Verse 13 and 14. The Holy Spirit is the down payment for our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. That's 14 off of 13, right? Here's what's cool. The whole Trinity is involved in this process. Look at 13 through 14. The Father purposes, the Son redeems, and now the Holy Spirit seals. Your salvation is the, has the whole Godhead involved in this thing, right? The, the Holy Spirit says to, to, to Paul, is saying, he says, this is the guarantee of your inheritance. What's he saying? He said, I'm going to finish what I start. I tell people all the time when they want to come in and order big fancy wheels or lift kit or, 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 or whatever, and like, well, how much I got to put down? I said, what? Well, how much matters to you? I don't always use percentage. Some people ain't got it that way, right? Like, how much matters to you? Like, oh, well, you know, you can tell, like, three or four hundred dollars. That's a lot of money to somebody. Well, I look at it. You ain't going to leave me with four hundred dollars if that's a lot to you. You're going to come back. Right? So earnest money, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back and get this thing right. And then the order just in there, right? What does it say? Having believed you were sealed. Sealing doesn't come before belief. Order in Paul's words is everything, man. Right? Those who, who demand an assurance of God before they, 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 they trust God, man, that's, you messed up. That's not a real trust. Like, like if you if you got to demand assurance from God first, no, you believe and then you're sealed. Right? And, and back to the, Paul's main theme as we wrap this thing up. Verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14 all says this phrase. And it's a phrase that's used in a lot of Paul's letters. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. So you guys like what what's going on here? For the praise of his glory. God saves us. God calls us. God redeems us. God, God gets us into the kingdom to demonstrate what? His glory, not ours. We mess up thinking it's about us, right? Ezekiel 36, 22. This is what the sovereign Lord says, Yahweh. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. Psalm 23, 4. He leads me in the path of righteousness for what? For his name's sakes. It's all for him. It's all for him. If we miss out on the fact that it's all for him, we miss out on a lot. Because here's what that means. If it's for him, that means if you fall, you can rest assured he's going to pick you back up. You know what I'm saying? Because what did he just say? Like, this is my name's sake. Everybody's looking. So if you fall, I'm going to pick you back up. You got that assurance, right? What you also have, though, is the assurance of this. You're not the center of the universe. You're not quite as important as you thought you were. Right? Because this is all for me. This is all to bring God's glory. What would happen if we just kept God at the center of everything? You ever think about, like, like the, just the picture he gives us just with the I always wondered, like, why, why the big solar system? Why, why all the, why all the stars? Why all the, why, why do you make all that? I'm like, that sun right in the center keeps everything going. Right? Earth, as it makes its rotation, it can have everything it has because of the sun being right there in the center where it's supposed to be. What if we keep God in the center of our spiritual lives? The life we could produce, the things we could, we could bring, right? The, the work that could be produced and, and gone through. Right? Maybe that's sometimes why God saves impossible people to bring him glory. You ever came to church and looked around and be like, I can't believe that dude was in church today. Right? Maybe it's you. Right? Think about it though. I, I, I feel like sometimes God's sitting over there. And I, I don't know how you guys feel about this. I think God like sits and converses with his angels. I believe that by what I read and, 
It's, I don't know if some of the stuff I think they converse about is right, but I think they'd be talking. All right. But I picture like God sitting up there and like this one heathen, for lack of better words, comes to it. And I picture one of the angels being like, I didn't know you was going to call him. Right. And God's like, I'm just showing off. Like, I just want to show you guys I could get that. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe not. Right. So here's your lesson for the first chapter. First beginning of the first chapter. You're chosen. You're the purpose of God. You're the power of God. You're the glory of God. And, and, and understand this. What, what is the purpose of a light? To shine what, though? So you can see. I, w- I want to make sure we get this because I don't want you to read chapters like this. And we talk about the light shining. Light is not done for shadows. Light is done so you can see. So stop looking at the shadows and stuff like this and look at what, what he's what he's highlighting for you. You understand what I'm saying? That a good picture? Does it make sense? It grabbed in my head. I don't know if it's grabbing in yours or not. He's lighting it up so that you can see where to go. He don't want you to pay attention to the shadows and try to get off track. Like stay on track, right? We'll, we'll get there. I promise. We will. Because we're gonna go through as much of his word as as he give us time to go through. And maybe just the biggest lesson is no one like, man, you got strength after you failed because this on God. Like you you got assurance afterwards, right? I mean, in this next chapter, he's gonna say for where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. You could use the word predestined there again, right? That we should walk in them. You know, it, it should give us assurance. Paul, when Paul's getting ready to go to this this uh, this church in Ephesus, let me flip to Acts 18. I'll read that as we wrap this thing up. When he's on the way, it's Acts 18, 9 through 11. If you're uh, a note taker, just want to read along or whatever. Because some of us are thinking like we use we use this chosen thing as an excuse not to do nothing else, right? Oh, well, God's going to call who He chooses to call. What if what if you phone? Be serious. What if you phone? Right. So so in eighteen, this is this is the same time period right before Paul gets gets put in jail. And it says this: The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, "I don't want you to be afraid." Now he's going into a city where people hate him. Remember, we talked about how evil Ephesus is, right? I don't want you to be afraid, but I want you to keep on speaking. I don't want you to be silent. What if God's telling us that today, by the way? I don't want you to be silent, church. I want you to keep on speaking. For I am with you. Here's how you can be assured. For I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you. Because I have here, check this out, number 10. Because I got many people in this city. Now, if I'm Paul at this stage, I'm like, Lord, we need to see that many people. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it ain't going well. I see a bunch of heathens. I need to see where these these many people are that are going to help me get through this. Right. And you would think like that would be a cool little thing. And, and, and he would witness and like this guy would come up and it would be beautiful. And we would have this happy ending. Right. But then there's verse 11. Verse 11 said he had to stay there a year and a half. Teaching. The word of God before people started believing it and coming to it. You talk about this whole idea of, of chosen and it's using it as an excuse to not minister. Paul says it's what motivated him to go minister. He had assurance that if God had chosen people out there, that he should go out there and get and get the word to them. So they have the they have the ability then to believe and receive the truth. Instead of focusing so much on man, why did God give it to me or call me or or why do I have this walk with him and my friends don't? 
Maybe God called you despite the fact that you can get your friends to come. Right? Is that, is that not maybe some of the, some of the pieces to this thing? Paul had to do it for a year and a half. Could you imagine? Preaching day in and day out to a group of people who hated you for a year and a half before they finally started getting it. But he was commanded and encouraged by God. One, I'm going with you, Paul. I've got you. Two, there are there those there that are going to get it. What if he'd have gave up after six months? What if he'd have gave up after nine? What if he'd have said, I gave it a year? He didn't get to decide how long he was going to be there. He could only decide if he was going to be obedient to a call God put on him, the will, the purpose of God for him, or if he was going to worry about himself. You frustrated and unhappy? Go back to the beginning. Maybe it's because you ain't in the will of God. You ain't got no peace? Maybe it's because you got no grace. Maybe it's because you don't understand grace. Right? What is it today that Paul grabs just just with the beginning, man? Just with the beginning of what he's writing to a church that can do so much. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We love you for your word, God. We love you because you're you're Abba Father. Today more than ever, Lord, maybe getting to call you Daddy resonates in our hearts a little bit better than normal. Father, today more than ever, maybe maybe understanding that you picked us despite our flaws, despite our problems. God, you picked us even knowing when we were going to fall. Lord, I pray, God, that as you, you communicate deeper on a deeper level than I can right now, Lord, to us. That those sitting here, God, they, they receive, they hear, they listen. And today be a day, Lord, today be a day that starts something significant in our walk with you. God, help us to get more kingdom minded. Help us to to ignore all the other things of the world, Lord God, and grab a hold of what your word says. And for that to put a hunger in us to get deeper in studying it and checking it out. So that we're in your will and not our own. Your great and holy name we pray. Amen.